you're listening to Bible Through the Year 2017, a weekly devotion to supplement the annual Bible reading plan for Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. I'm Justin Wheeler. I'm the preaching pastor for Cornerstone, and this is week 49 of our Bible reading plan. This week we're going to continue reading in the book of 1 Corinthians. We're actually going to read the last two chapters, 15 and 16, and then we're going to read all the way through the second letter that we have, 2 Corinthians, and we're going to begin to read the book of Romans. We're going to be reading chapters 1 through 10 in Romans. Now, this week, we're going to be reading what we know as Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. And if we thought that the first one was tough, this second one is at least twice as awkward. I mean, in the first letter, Paul was clearly addressing multiple sins within the life of the church. He was writing to help those believers in Christ in the city of Corinth to understand their lives as Christians through the lens of the gospel. Now, that's an interesting phrase. I mean, they had come to know Christ. They had come to embrace the gospel of their salvation in their minds. But in very real ways, they had compartmentalized how that gospel affected the way they lived within the culture, and and even the way they lived in in community with one another. And so for 16 chapters, we we read along as Paul defined their problem, the, the problem that the church was dealing with, and then he showed them how they had failed to apply the gospel to these issues. And so that's what he was trying to help them do. But here in the second letter, we come to understand that some people really didn't care for what Paul had to say in that first letter. I mean, it's almost as if a number of people in the church at Corinth read Paul's first letter and they decided that that he just didn't know what he was talking about. And these folks made the situation in the church even worse than it was before. And so Paul decided to come and visit them in person And from what he says about it, it really wasn't a very pretty visit. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul refers to this face-to-face visit as a painful visit because apparently he was addressing not only the sins in the church, but he was addressing those individuals who were creating problems in the church, and he did that face-to-face. Now, we've seen Paul do this before. He did this in uh, the city of Galatia when he stood face-to-face with Peter. And, and you can imagine how awkward that would have been to those in that setting. Well, this happened in Corinth as well. And, and you would think, right, you would think that the first letter that he wrote, coupled with this face-to-face visit, would have been enough to get things back on track. But again, it, it, it wasn't. I mean, Paul wrote what we understand to be a, a lost second letter to the church that was painful for him to write. He talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3 and, and 4. Uh, he talks about this painful letter for him, but it was intended, he wrote the letter so that the church would understand that he truly loved them, that he had an abundant love for his brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and it's sad that we don't have a copy of this letter. The only additional letter that we have is what we call 2 Corinthians, which is actually, it appears to be Paul's third letter to the church. And in this letter, Paul is trying to help the church continue to sort through their lack of understanding the gospel. They still don't understand the role of the gospel in the world and the role of the gospel in their lives. They're struggling with what amounts to a popularity contest among uh, their church leaders and what Paul refers to as the super apostles. They've allowed all these problems 
to keep them from really doing what Christ had called them to do. And in fact, that's a really big point in this letter. They had lost sight of the mission of the church. And we're going to talk about that today in just a minute. So the other book that we're going to be reading is the book of Romans. And I can't say enough about this particular letter, this epistle. This is perhaps the most important book, letter, whatever you want to call it, in the entire world. Okay, so Ray Ortland he, he writes this, and I think he's right. He says, what is the most important book in the universe? Well, obviously, it's the Bible, which, which is the most important part of the Bible. Well, for us, it's the New Testament. The Old Testament is incredibly important, but the New Testament helps us to understand God's purpose and plan through Christ. But which is the most important document within that New Testament? Well, Ray Ortland goes on and says, well, it's clearly Paul's letter to the Romans. Therefore, Paul's letter to the Romans is the most important document in the universe. And we have it here in our hands and in a good English translation, too. That's what Ray Ortland says. Now, I, I don't think this is an overstatement. Paul's letter to the Romans is the most thorough and the clearest explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ as the crescendo of God's plan for the world. And it, it's the clearest thing that we have in the New Testament. It's the clearest thing that we have in the world. And we're going to be reading it this week, especially chapters 1 through 10. So let's turn our attention now to something we can meditate on. And, and I, I want us to start with the book of Romans. Here in the opening lines of the book of Romans, we read this. Romans 1.1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his holy prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son. Now, I just want to to focus in on a couple of things here and encourage you just to think more deeply about them this week. I want you to meditate on these three things this week. And the first one is this. The central message of this letter and of the Christian faith is the gospel of God. Now, the word gospel is a word we use all the time, and it's a word that simply means good news. It is good in that it communicates to us what God has done to forgive us of sin and reconcile us to himself. And it is, in, it is news in that it is not something that everyone intrinsically knows. It must be revealed to us. It must be proclaimed to us. It must be preached and shared from one person to another. And so Paul refers to the good news of the Christian faith as the, the gospel or the good news of God. And that's an interesting phrase. This phrase, the gospel of God, it's in the genitive case. It's a noun of possession, which means that this gospel belongs to God. I mean, this is not man's gospel. This is not Paul's gospel. It's, it's, it's God's gospel. He planned it. He promised that it would take place. He carried it out. He accomplishes his purpose in it, and he has preserved it to this day. The, the gospel belongs to God. Now, for years, men have tampered with it. They've tried to change it. They've tried to dress it up. They've tried to improve it. They've even tried to stamp it out completely. But God has preserved the gospel because it's his. It is his good news. It, it has a divine author, and that author is God. Now, the second thing I want us to meditate on this week is that the central message of the Christian faith is the gospel of God, which he promised in the scriptures. That's an interesting phrase. The gospel message 
Though it was a mystery to earlier generations, it has not been a secret, at least not completely. God has been pointing to it all along the way. And as we've been reading through the Bible this year, I've tried to point out that to us in our, in our devotion times, that, that, that there are things that God is doing in the Scriptures to point us ahead to the crescendo, which is this gospel age. Here's a few of them. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God pointed to one who would come in the future and crush the head of the serpent to bring an end to the rebellion and usher in a new age of peace between God and man. That's that's a reference to Jesus. When the sin of mankind covered the earth, bringing about God's judgment at the time of the flood, God used a boat to point us to one who would come and carry us safely through judgment and deposit us into a new land of peace. And that's all about Christ. When God's people were in captivity in Egypt, God pointed to Christ by showing them that they would be saved and delivered from their their bondage by the blood of a lamb. Through the prophets, God promised time and again that one would come and suffer in our place so that by his stripes we would be healed of our sin. And every prophet throughout all of Scripture has been pointing us to the good news of God's rescue mission. This gospel was promised in the Scriptures. And so when Paul writes the book of Romans, he's not writing something that's entirely new. He's writing something that God has promised and God has been revealing to us year in and year out for ages. And that's the second thing I want you to meditate on. Now, the third thing I want us to meditate on is that the central message of the Christian faith is the gospel of God, which he promised in the Scriptures, concerning his Son. Now, ultimately, the Old Testament prophets were not pointing us to a plan. They were pointing us to a person. They weren't pointing us to a military strategy. They were pointing us to a divine hero. And when the time came, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was born in human flesh. The hero that the world had been waiting for came to us through the line of God's anointed King David. And in Galatians chapter 4, we read this, When the fullness of time had come... God sent forth, not another prophet, not another uh, human leader, but his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under that law so that we might receive adoption as sons. This is the essence of the gospel message. This is the central truth of the Christian faith, that our salvation does not rest in our performance before God, but in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The good news is not that through the law you can free yourself from sin, nor is it that through grace you are free to sin. The good news is that by trusting in Christ, you are free from the power of sin and from the guilt of the law. And that's what we're going to read this week as we read Romans 1 through 10. And Jesus is the centerpiece of the entire message, the entire Christian message. It's not our goodness that's the centerpiece, it's Christ. Jesus is the centerpiece because the only way that we can have peace with God is through the perfect sacrifice, and Jesus is that perfect sacrifice. So our only hope is in Him, and that's what this book of Romans is going to drive into our hearts and help us understand. Next, let's turn our attention to something that we can discuss. And and now I want us to turn our attention to 2 Corinthians. Now, in 2 Corinthians... Paul is still working to help the church understand some things about the Christian life. And one of them, one major thing, is how Christ calls his people to engage in the mission of making disciples. Now, 
This this comes to us in, in 2 Corinthians chapters 4 and 5. And, and Paul wants us to know that our Lord has commissioned us to bear the word, to, to bear the message of, of salvation through Christ to all the world. And it comes to a crescendo in 2 Corinthians 5. I'll start in, in verse 17. He, he says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, what does that mean? Well, he goes on. That is, in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to them or to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, he says, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, there's a lot packed into this, but here's what I want us to focus in on. This church had lost sight of their mission, and Paul's drawing their attention back to this fact, that we as believers in Christ are now ambassadors for Christ. And this means that we are to live our lives in this world as representatives of Jesus, armed with the message of Jesus, and imploring people, pleading with people through that message to be reconciled to God. I mean, literally, we are evangelists. Our mission as the church is to preach Christ crucified. Our mission is not to build giant buildings, becoming the biggest church in the city. Our purpose is not to entertain our culture in the hopes that they will like us and join our team. Our mission is not to ensure that, that we cater to our members by treating them like consumers that we have to please. Our mission is to represent Jesus, the one who gave his life to save us from God's wrath by proclaiming the gospel here and wherever we go in the world. I mean, that's our mission. We preach Christ. This comes to us, this phrase, we preach Christ. It comes in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where Paul says this, Jews demand signs, right? Jews demand a sign from us. They want us to entertain them. They want us to show them something. Greeks seek wisdom from us. They want us to teach them something they've never heard before. But we, as a church, we preach Christ crucified. It is a stumbling block to the Jews, and it is foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. I mean, Paul's dealing with this in the first letter. He's still dealing with it in the second letter. Our mission as a church in this stage of redemptive history is that we preach Christ crucified. We preach the gospel. We share the gospel. We teach the gospel. We talk about the gospel. We sing the gospel as the only means by which man can be reconciled to God and free from wrath. And here's what's going on. The, the church at Corinth had lost its grip on this mission. Corinth was a church that tried to make a whole host of secondary issues into their primary mission. They had begun to make it their mission to have the best and most dynamic leader or speaker. But in the end, they were making idols out of mere men. And, and, and the church suffered because of it. They wanted to be accepted by the Roman culture, so they began to celebrate all kinds of things, deviant sexual behaviors as though it was praiseworthy. And the result was that Paul rebuked them for celebrating something that even the Romans considered immoral. I mean, the Corinthians elevated one issue after another to a position of primacy, saying, this is our mission, or that is our mission, or this is our purpose. But in the end, 
you got a church that's immoral and idolatrous and immature, and Paul is rebuking them over and over and over. And, and why did this happen? Because they had lost sight of their mission. And Paul had to remind them, we preach Christ. This is what we do. Don't spend your energy energy fighting to look like the world. Don't waste your time pursuing things that will not last. Spend yourselves in the ministry to which you have been called. He tells them, preach the gospel. Now here's the question for us, and here's where we can you know, have something to discuss with our brothers and sisters, even our family. How many times have we seen this happen in the church? How many times have we seen this happen in our own lives? It starts out as a small thing, but over time, something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ takes center stage. I mean, it could be anything. It could be some new book. It could be some new teaching. It could be some new ministry opportunity. It could be some new thing that we just are, are pulled to or drawn to. And, and this thing grows to the point that we become defined by it or the church becomes defined by it. And in the end, what you have is a church. You have a life that is defined by something other than the main thing because we've lost sight of the mission of making disciples. Now, I'm just going to segue from that right into something that we can pray about. Is there anything more important for us to pray about as a church and as, as believers than that we are engaged in the mission that God has given to us? I don't think so. I don't think so. So let's take some time this week and do just that. Let's, let's pray that God would burden our hearts for the lost people in our lives and in our city. Let's pray that God would help us to be bold to speak the truth about man's sin, whether we're doing it in the pulpit or in the classroom or we're doing it uh, over coffee with a neighbor. And, and let's ask that the Lord would help us to be bold, not only to speak the truth about man's sin, but also the truth about Christ's love. And let's pray for God to help us to stay focused as men, as women, as young people, and as a church on our primary mission of making disciples, rather than allowing us to spend all of our time on secondary pursuits. Now, if you want to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at CBC Wiley. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstonewiley. And you can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play to stay up to date on all the new content. Thanks for listening.